Well, good morning, Arbor. It's good to see you. Hey, uh, we started a series last week that we uh, called uh, Overwhelmed, and uh, today we're going to continue in that. Um, Some of you are just so thankful that Thanksgiving is behind us. Family is headed back home. Was that overwhelming for anybody? No, just me? Okay, fine. I had an... (laughs) I am, uh, I'm overwhelmed, it was overwhelming. Uh, family's wonderful, but a lot of family is a lot of overwhelming. And, uh, and, and we're overwhelmed by different things. Some of us are overwhelmed by pace. It's go, 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 gotta get it done, running out of time, can't make it happen. Uh, some of us are overwhelmed by career. We gotta, we gotta reach and climb that ladder. Boss is telling us to do this, we wanna do this. Things are very overwhelming. Some of us are overwhelmed by circumstances. Um, we had a circumstance about, uh, in August actually, it was in August. My wife texted me, and uh, she's at home. She's, she's uh, homeschooling our oldest. Uh, she has a new baby in a new house with, um, with, uh, with my other son, who's just absolutely overwhelming in himself, right? He's just overwhelming. And she texted me uh, and let me know that there are ants in the house. And I'm like, what the heck? We have ants in the house? We did not have ants in the house, in the house like the day before or even the week before or anything. No ants. So I'm like, dude, just, you know, squish them, take care of them, they'll be fine, have Percy eat them, I don't know, like, just, uh, just you know, can you handle it? So she didn't respond with, um, with, uh, with a text, she responded with a video. And so here is what she sent me, which she's overwhelmed. Oh my word, oh Lord, oh dear Lord. Huh. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh, it's a swarm. Oh. oh my gosh. Yeah, so you guys are glad you live where you do, aren't you? <laughs> it's overwhelming, is it not? It started with zero ants, and in one day, there was all those ants, and so we actually, like, it was crazy. So she showed me that, and of course I went home, right? And we're, uh, we're trying to squish them and take care of them, and uh, the deal is they're moisture ants. I didn't know about this. We bought a house, and on one part of our house, there's no gutter, and so what happens is the water goes and runs down the side of the house, causing moisture inside of your wood. Well, on a hot day, what happens is all the ants come out, which this is terrible, those were living in our house, right? Um, they come out and then they, you know, they're out there and that you only see them a few times a year. And so um, that's overwhelming, guys. It's a little overwhelming. And so um, we, we had to call an exterminator because um, it was obviously beyond what I could do. I thought I would come home, just handle a one or two. But dude, that was crazy. And so we called an exterminator and we didn't have the cash to be able to do that, but we're going to do that, right? We got to take care of it. Um, and so that, it's crazy. And by the way, um, they're gone. They are gone. We don't have them anymore. They are taken care of. We don't have um, ants running around in our house, but we're all dealing with things that in moments in life come and overwhelm us. Obviously, by my wife's voice, she was completely overwhelmed in that. I was overwhelmed at the time, honestly, with how are we going to pay for this? And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about finances today. Today, we're going to talk about being overwhelmed by money. Uh, And I can tell that some of you are really excited right now. You're just like, this is awesome, Jake. This is what I come to church for, right? This is like Christmas and rainbows and a room like all rolled up into one. (laughs) Like, this is exciting. Now, actually, what I can tell is some of you, the reason you don't come to church is because churches seem to talk about money. 
And, and, and there's this thought, there's this idea that uh, the church always wants our money. Um, I just want to tell you right from the very beginning, we don't want your money. We don't want anything from you today. We want something for you. And so to prove that to you, we are not taking an offering today. So there will be no offering take whatsoever because I don't want to have anybody here think that this is what we're about, that we want your money. Like I said, we don't want anything from you today. And so we're not going to pass the buckets. You don't need to drop anything in the offering back there on the boxes. Truly, we don't want anything from you. We want something for you. Because Jesus talked a lot about money. He completely did. He talked a whole bunch about money. Um, we don't want, um, and, and, it's, and it stresses us out. Jesus talked a lot about it, but it stresses us out. Here's the stats. I did not know this. Two out of three fights, two out of three quarrels, two out of three lawsuits in this world arise from a single cause. That cause is money. Um, outside of marital unfaithfulness, the number one reason people get a divorce money. Researchers have been telling us for a long time that financial stress is hazardous to our health, right? Hazardous to our health. Migraines, uh, cardiovascular disease, insomnia, depression, mood disorders, and many, many more come from financial stress. It can be overwhelming. This week, peoples, the stock market took a little bit of a plunge, right? The SP 500 is having the worst fourth quarter that it has had since when? Since when the market crashed in 2008. And so the housing market has seemed to peak, and it seems to be projected to be going downwards, right-sizing, if you will. Some people are nervous that we're having another potential recession. I don't mean to scare you. I just mean to say that, hey, money can be overwhelming. It truly can be overwhelming. By a show of hands, and let's be honest here, how many of you at some point in your life have ever felt overwhelmed by money? See? This right here is why Jesus talked a whole lot about money. A whole lot about money, because he knew that this would be a concern. He talked a lot about it. In fact, he talked more about money than heaven and hell combined. 16 out of his 38 parables have to do with money or possessions that were bought by money. Uh, the Gospels, gets this, one out of 10 verses in the Gospels have to do directly with money, with finances. The Bible itself, 500 verses have to deal with prayer. 500, a little less than that, 500 verses have to deal with faith. 2,000 verses have to deal with money and possessions. It's a big deal. Jesus knew this would be a problem, and so he knew we needed help, and so he didn't want us to stress out, uh, and so he talked a whole lot about it. I mean, for me, example, I'm back in this again. Last time, we've only talked in this church in almost the two years that we've been around. We're going to be coming up on the two-year anniversary. We've only talked one other time besides today about money. This is one per year is what we're shooting for. So, what it goes, so Glad you came today, right? <laughs> so, but the deal is, Last time we talked, I remember stressing immensely about this idea of margin and having margin. And at that point, I had lived my life for 15 years having margin and margin and margin. And then guess what we did? We bought a house. And when you buy a house, you take everything you got and you put all the chips on the table and then you shove it over to the bank and you say, here you go. And you lose that margin. It's a calculated thing that you got to, I mean, in this economy, it's the only way to get a house. That's what we had to do. The margin that we had financially just went like from like this to like, right in there. And what I can't tell you is I, the stress level, 
that, that, that incurred. When our, when our margin went down, my stress level went way, way higher, exponentially higher. I could not believe it. It was crazy. When I'm eating my top ramen, I'm like, this is frustrating, right? Because it's, it's difficult, and we all struggle with this. I have been overwhelmed with the concept of money, which I hadn't been for the longest time. And so Jesus, I'm so thankful that Jesus talks about it. And so what we're going to do today is I want to take and divide our talk, our time, into two sections. First section is going to be the pastoral. We're going to look through Matthew, Matthew 6 and, and work inside of there. Uh, and then what I'm going to do is we're going to talk about the practical after that. I'm going to invite a friend to come up and join me, and we'll go from there. But let's start with the pastoral. Matthew 6, this is one of the things that Jesus talked about when he talked about money. He said this. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures or money on earth, which is exactly what we like to do, is it not? Truthfully, it is. And especially in this economy, we want to, we want to have a safety net. We want to have a security blanket. We want to have a bank account that's big enough that all of a sudden, if something goes wrong, we're going to be okay, right? But Jesus is saying, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy and where thieves break in and steal. It's interesting, back in Jesus' day, the Palestinian houses that were constructed were constructed out of clay and like mud bricks. And so when people would break in and steal, I always thought they'd come like go through the front door, the back door. No, they'd actually break through the walls and then they would pull out possessions when you weren't around in your house. And so Jesus is saying, don't store all your wealth in places where people can break in and steal it. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven which is basically anything in this life that has to do with the eternal. So store up for you in your life things that have to do with the eternal, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, to summarize what Jesus is saying there, he's saying don't spend your life chasing the temporary. Don't do it. Don't chase after money. Don't chase after wealth. Don't chase after great cars and the right clothes or things that money can buy. The goal in life, what he's saying right here is the goal in life is not to be comfortable. Guys, did you hear me correctly? Our goal, even now, is not to be comfortable. If you look at God's word, the people that truly followed him, their life got very uncomfortable. And yet, what is our goal? It's the American dream, right? The American dream. Well, just so that you know, the American dream is not God's dream. And so the goal is not to be comfortable, right? And, and to put our faith into money. What Jesus is saying is those things are temporary. Rather than invest in those temporary things that are going to go away, invest in things that will last. Invest in things that are eternal. Invest in things that will last forever. This is so, so, so important. Now, the reason why God is so interested in our money and Jesus talks about it over and over again and makes such a big deal about it is found in the next verse. Very famous verse, 21. Jesus says this. He says, For where your treasure is, there, in that spot, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, where you put your money, right, where you, whatever you value the most, there your heart will be also. God knows. He knows that what we do with our money is an indication of what's going on inside of here. Guys, it is a heart thing, right? God cares about our heart. That's what he cares about the most. He cares about your heart. He cares about it more than all the money in the world combined. He cares about your heart. 
And if you've never heard it or if you're visiting and you're wondering, I don't know about this whole church thing, here's what I really want you to know is that God is not after your money. He's after your heart. He is not after your money. He's after your heart. And so consequently, we're not after your money as well. But we do want something for you, as I said before. But what Jesus is saying here is that the primary way to know what's going on inside of here, the primary way to know what's going on inside of somebody's heart is to check out their bank statement. It is to look in their checkbook. It is a window. Money is a window. It's a peek into what really matters to us because we hold it close, don't we? We hold it really tight. Some of you would like to hold it tighter because it seems to just slip away the, higher, the closer you hold it. But that's the thing right here. We hold on to money sometimes tighter than we hold on to God. And sometimes money seems to be our security rather than God. It's so important. I, I showed this comic last week, and it's so true. Or not last week, but last time I talked about money. I got to show it again because I love it. It goes like this. It goes, well, Chuck, when I baptize you, everything that goes under belongs to God. <laughs> it's so true, isn't it? I get a kick out of it more than you do, I guess. So I think that's awesome. So true. God is not after your money. He is after your heart. It's a heart thing, you guys. It's not a money thing. We're not actually talking about money today. We're talking about heart is what we're talking about. And Jesus continues. He says, no one, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, this is huge, you cannot serve both God and serve money. It is a powerful, powerful statement. John Locke, a famous philosopher, he once said this. He said, what worries you, masters you. Think about that. What worries you, masters you. If you spend the majority of your time worrying and worrying, it's consuming your mind, it masters you. And what we're here is, none of us, none of us, you guys, we should not let money master us. Should we not? Money should not be our master. We should choose this day whom we will serve. We're going to serve somebody, right? We're going to serve something. If we have any amount of debt, we are serving money to some degree because we're working hard to pay off what we just already bought. But choose this day who you will serve. And here's what it is. I would say choose the good master in this equation. God is a good master. Jesus is a good master. In fact, he's described as the good shepherd. Choose this day about the one who doesn't lord over you, but choose this day who the one who overwhelms you with his love. Because that's what the gospel is, is it not? We had a, catch this, debt to pay. A debt that was impossible for us to pay. There was no way that we could have taken it and we could have paid it on our own. God recognized that. He sent his son, Jesus came down in the form of a man and took the penalty, took the pain, took the payment that we should have paid on the cross. He didn't die because people forced him there. He died out of overwhelming love for us. And the best part of that whole thing is that he didn't stay dead. Because if he did stay dead, you guys, none of us would be talking about this today. We wouldn't know the name from Jesus from any other name in history. But because he didn't stay dead, he proved that he was God. What does he do when he rises to the from the grave? He offers us something. It's the same thing that we want to offer you today. You know what it is? Life. 
life to the full. Life not just to the full on this planet, but life for all eternity in right relationship with him. You guys, that's amazing. That is priceless, amen? Amen. That is so priceless. And so we don't want something from you, we want something for you. Now, if you were following along, which I I was watching, not very many people were, in your good old-fashioned leather-bound Bible, you would have noticed that we were reading a section of scripture that was entitled Treasures in Heaven. And then what happens is when you get down to verse 24, it's retitled, right? And people would think, you would naturally think that this is the end. This is the end of Jesus' thought. It's concluded, it's done right here. But this is so important for us to understand. When the Bible was originally written, when it was originally manuscript, there were no verses, there were no chapters, there were no like passage headings. It was originally written, none of that was there. That stuff was added in the 13th and the 16th century. And it's great because they're wonderful. It's very helpful. It's meant for convenience sake so we can know what we're talking about. But sometimes the helpful is a little bit hurtful and it is the case in this passage as well. Because the two sections are connected. The section entitled Treasures from Heaven, where it talks about money, all of a sudden jumps down into a new section, which is titled, Do Not Worry, which is really interesting. And you know how I know they're connected? Because of the way that the second section starts off. It starts off with the word, therefore. And whenever you're studying God's word and you come across the word, therefore, you need to ask the question, stop and ask, what is it there for? Right? And what it's there for is for you to look back to the previous because oftentimes what it is, is, it is in a, it's an indicator. It connects cause and effect or it can connects questions and answers or it connects decisions made and results that follow. Therefore, in this case, is a helpful indicator to let you know that Christ, as he's talking, his thought process isn't done. He's saying, because of this, therefore, I tell you, do not Worry. Do not be overwhelmed. Do not worry about your life or what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body or what you shall put on. Therefore, do not worry. Why? Look back to the previous passage because we have a good master, is the answer. We do not need to worry because of the master that we follow. There's no need to stress. There's no need to be overwhelmed because we have a good master. The two passages, you guys, are connected. Money and worry. And he's saying we don't have to worry because we have a good master. How good is he? The passage goes on. And he talks about the birds of the air. And he says how they neither toil nor reap. But yet they they don't even gather into barns. So they don't collect money or put food into barns. But yet what happens? Your heavenly father still feeds them. Then he talks about lilies of the valley, right? And how Solomon in all of his splendor and all of his glory did not dress as well as the lilies of the valley that neither, that they neither like sew, they don't sew garments for themselves. Um, They don't make clothes or anything like that. And so Jesus still provides them, provides for them. Are we not of more value than these is what Jesus is asking. Are we not of more value than the birds of the air and the lilies of the field? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. And so Jesus says in the next verse, these things, what things? Again, full context, money, possessions, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows, and this is huge, you guys, he already knows your needs. 
He knows what we need. He knows everything that we need. So many of us were like, I need a rich uncle that, that has millions of dollars that was lost and comes back and says, I want to give this to you. How many have just dreamed about that, right? How wonderful would that be just all of a sudden to inherit this huge amount of money and you think my problems are all gone. They're all done. It's taken care of because they would have taken care of all my needs. If I had that kind of money, then it would have taken care of all my needs. But yet we often forget about a father who owns everything. And he provides for every need that we have. He already knows our need. He's a rich father. It says, God, it says that God owns cattle on a thousand hills, right? He uses gold for pavement, peoples. He's got a lot of money. He owns everything. And he takes care of the birds. And he takes care of the lilies. Why do you not think he would take care of us? And so one of the famous passages, most famous passages that is often quoted throughout the Bible is the words that Jesus says next. He says, but seek ye first. This is what he's telling us to do. He says, I know your needs. I know what they are. I know what you need, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. Again, context, what things? Money, possessions, the stuff that we need to get by for food and shelter and clothing. He will provide those and all these things will be provided unto you. These two passages that are often taught separately are actually connected. Passages on money, and the fact that we do not need to worry. And if you summarize them together, it would be this. It would be God's, God's provision makes worry pointless. God's provision, the fact that he always does provide, makes worry pointless. You guys, worry is like a down payment on a problem that you may never have. I love that. I also love the quote that worry is like a rocking chair, right? It gives you something to do, but it doesn't really take you anywhere. Jesus describes worry as this. He says, so don't worry about tomorrow. Why? Because for tomorrow, will we'll bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. God's provision makes worry pointless. And for some of you, this is the big point in your world. This is, this is what overwhelms you, finances. This is your struggle. And I'm not minimizing it. I'm just saying God will provide. How many of us, if we were to ever raise our hand, have ever gone hungry to the point of starvation? Nobody can raise your hand in that. Maybe we didn't have food in that moment, but we've never gone hungry. We've never gone without clothes. We have shelter. We're living in one of the richest places in the world not just the United States, but the world. It's unbelievable. God provides for our needs. And I get that it's so easy to say those things, to put your trust in God above all else, but Jake, I have an electric bill that I need to pay for. Who's gonna take care of that? Well, those are practical needs. So what I wanna do is I wanna move from the pastoral to the practical. And I wanna invite my friend, Lauren Winter, to come on up. So would you welcome him? And I'll explain a little bit as he comes. So Lauren is a financial planner, correct? Yes. That's what you do? 
A certified financial planner. Certified. I didn't mean to leave that out. A lot of time studying for that board exam. Okay, <laughs> which is great. So he is, and he's not gonna he's not gonna share it. He is really, 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 really good with money, and that's either true because he's really, really good, or I'm just really, really bad. It's one of the two. We're a good combo. That's right. So actually, so he is my financial planner. <laughs> I'm sitting next to him right now. Um, but he's also the, the one who leads up our finance team here at Arbor, and so, uh, which is really great. So he's that whole entire team up. Um, and so I've asked him because money seems to come, uh, not doesn't come from you, which would be awesome, um, but, but how to handle money, best practices, things of that nature, this, this is the man to talk to. And so I thought it would be great to have the conversation up here, some basic questions when it comes to finances on the practical side of things that I could ask and see how, um, see how he does. So are you up for that? I don't have a choice. <laughs> Not at this point. <laughs> All right, so here's the first question. What are, because we're talking about this being overwhelmed, what are typical stressors, fears, and concerns people have uh, surrounding money, because lots of people come and see you. Yeah, so I get the opportunity to sit down with people from all different walks of life, right? My oldest client passed away a couple years ago at the ripe age of 105. She still thought she was going to run out of money. Uh, to the 18-year-old who was gifted some money from their grandparents, right? A, wi uh, a white-collar executive from a Fortune 500 company or a blue-collar worker on the assembly lineup at Boeing, right? So I get to sit down with all different types of people. And, um, you know, one thing that I've noticed is growing up, personally, my family did not talk about money very often. Um, and my experience has been, I don't think that our families and our culture today talk about money very much. So it, it comes very apparent when I sit down with, uh, with a brand new client uh, who hasn't worked with a financial planner before, and we start talking about what their hopes and dreams and what's most important to them, right? And eventually, we get into their assets, which makes some people anxious, and then we get in their debts. Usually when we hit debts, it's so funny. It's like the temperature in the room increases by about 10 degrees because their faces start to get red, and coats, jackets, sweatshirts come off. They ask for a drink of water. Yeah. So we try to proactively give that to them. <laughs> you did just, that last service, too. It was great. You're, <laughs> you're just glad I was He's wearing like an Superman undershirt. Superman over here. That's right. Wouldn't that be awesome if I wasn't wearing an undershirt? <laughs> I was hoping you took it off between services. No, I did not. Luckily, it's my shirt. Um, All right, continue. I digress. So anyways, <laughs> once we get that out of the way, right, and, and I think what that does is it shows that people have this uh, sense of fear and anxiety around money because it's something that we have been brought up to not talk about. Um, so after we get through that, which is uncomfortable, it used to be really uncomfortable for me, but over, you know, 11 years of asking those same questions, you kind of get numb to it. Um, we try to identify what's most important to them. And generally what comes out from that is they want to make work optional at some point in the future, a.k.a. retirement. Or they want to send a kid through college. Or they want to buy their first house, start a business, or save for some other financial goal that could be anything, right? Um, and, and once we start to establish that, I think that we can also tell what their fears could be. And if you whittle it down, people just want to feel like they're on track. They want to, take the, they, they want to feel like they're taken care of. Bottom line... 
most of the time they want to feel like they are the ones in control of their own destiny. They want their security to be found in money instead of the eternal, hmm. which I think is interesting. It is very interesting. What percentage of your, would you say that's most of your clients? <laughs> uh, you know, I was actually thinking about that. So I work with about 300 clients right now. And um, really, besides pastors that I work with, there's just a few of them, and Mormons, <laughs> everyone else falls into that category. Hmm. Crazy, that they want money to be their security blanket. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a second question, okay? Uh, what are some practical steps um, people can take to help them not feel so stuck and overwhelmed? Yeah, so in my practice, we use a, uh, a five-step process to, to, to go through that. And the first step is where am I at today? Okay, that's where we take a look at what your finances are. And I would say that this is what, if you're not doing it, you should do it today on your own, right? With your spouse, uh, maybe by yourself, maybe with your best friend, right? Hold each other accountable. But the first part of that is taking a snapshot of all of your assets and then all of your liabilities. The goal is the assets are greater than the liabilities. It means you have a net worth instead of a net problem. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thank you for laughing. That was good. <laughs> you know, it's, it's easy being up here, isn't it? Yeah, it's really. Yeah. Uh, that's what Andy says. Uh, he has a statement. Andy Stanley, a great pastor. He says you got to be knowing where your money's going. That's yeah. what something he says. Exactly. So that brings us to the second part, right? So the first part is net worth. The second part is putting together an actual budget. Okay. So when you put together a budget, you are then dictating to your money where it's going to go instead of your money controlling you and your spending habits, right? So I was just going to ask you, so money's not bad in itself is what you're saying. Like you, we talked about that a little bit last service, but because we don't want to sit here and say, don't store up treasures in heaven or don't store up treasures on earth because money is bad. It is the desire for money that is bad. Yeah, it's, um, it's finding your security in money mm -hmm. is what we're trying to get away from. We're trying to find our security in the eternal and in our relationship with Jesus. So if things are tight, how do you do that? Right? Yeah. So if you write down on your connection card, send me resources, and we will be spell checking, so you have to spell it correctly. <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to send you a bunch of those resources that will help you practically take that first step today, right? So take a look at, so we'll send you a net worth worksheet that help you figure out what your assets are, what your liabilities are. We'll also send you a link to Dave Ramsey's free app called Every Dollar. It helps you control where every single dollar goes. Millennials, it goes on your phone. It's really easy to use. Uh, for you and the legacy generations, uh, we also have a paper worksheet that we'll email out to you. So Brian, our youth pastor, is going to be using the worksheet. Yeah, and my mother and father-in-law just went like this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, what you're going to find when you start budgeting, right? Because a lot of, I mean, budget, it's like a four-letter word, I swear. Um, <laughs> telling you, it's really easy to crack Dude, jokes up here. You're getting good. I uh, <laughs> should do this every week. <laughs> um, what you're going to find is that you're going to have to work really, really hard to spend less. Yeah. When you start tracking what you're spending your money on, you're going to find that you spend it on a bunch of things 
and more of it on things that you really don't want to. Yeah, it's, okay, so this is surprising. I, uh, we did this, we do this, we track our money, gotta be knowing where. Uh, one year, we did the actuals to what we thought we spent in the budget, and it came up to say that my wife um, uh, had spent less money on clothing than I did. Shocker. Uh, so that I spent more money than my wife. I would argue with anybody with her to the nth degree that that was not the case. But what we didn't realize is I had bought a suit that year. And so it put me over the top and I really did. And there was no way you could have convinced me of that. Um, but it's crazy. You don't know where your money's going until you actually track it. Yeah, I mean, in all aspects of life, you see results in the things that you track, right? So mm -hmm. your money is no different from that. All right, so after you know where you're at right now, the, the sorry, my Siri just picked up that I said something. Is that, is that, that your that, phone? That's my phone over there. That is your phone. <laughs> I left it over there so it wouldn't did, be a distraction. <laughs> did you train it to your voice? I, that's what you do when you set up an iPhone. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, John uh, is it, shutting Siri down. Thank you, John. Um, <laughs> So the second step, after you know where you're at today, it's where do you want to be, right? That's your goal setting. And that could be anything from I want to hit this certain financial goal to I want to be able to save more to I want to be a better steward with what God has already blessed me with, right? Step three is can you go from where you're at right now to where your goal is? Step four is putting together that game plan. And step five, this is where I see people stop. People stop at step four. Step five is finding an accountability partner to monitor your progress towards that goal. This should be done at least on an annual uh, basis. You can say, okay, here's where I'm at. Here's where I want to be. Am I making the correct progress to get to that goal? And if you can't, then you got to figure out what changes need to be made either in my yeah. spending, my savings, or the actual goal. Yeah, Davey and I would do that every single month. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm surprised we're still married after doing that all that time because those were tough meetings because sometimes you'd find out news that you didn't want to hear. Absolutely, but it's better to talk about it, For right? For sure. And, and it allowed us to know where we were at and then make adjustments. It was huge. Now, I know that when I go through those five steps, there are people in this room that it just seems overwhelming right now to even think about doing all of that. So Dave Ramsey, and I know I've said his name a few times today, uh, he has another process called his baby steps. And after you establish a budget, his first step on his baby steps is to get $1,000 fast cash saved. So that when your wife sends you a video message <laughs> of a bunch of ants, you don't have marching. to go into credit card debt to fix that problem. But, but you're able to go into that emergency fund and... Take care of what you have to, mm -hmm. and then work on getting that thing filled back up instead of paying interest to a credit company on that. <laughs> uh, actually, we like Dave Ramsey so much that uh, we, we made a, uh, a deal that if you can write down, or if you'd like it, write down on your connection card, send me more resources. Uh, we'll actually send you a link in that email to a free audio file for his book, Total Money Makeover. And again, if, if you would like to uh, have a hard copy of that book, we will also have that uh, at no cost to you available next Sunday uh, here at the church. Yeah. Um, for free. For, for free. Yeah. Um, that you can make notes on and, and, and stuff like that. So it's a fantastic book, and, and it should really help. Yeah. 
That's great. Let me, let me ask you another question. Uh, last one here, um, or almost last one. Uh, how, does someone, how does someone honor God and at the same time live their life when finances are so, so, so tight? I love this question. Uh, I, I love it because I think it's the most important question, uh, but it's one that I don't get the opportunity to talk in my office with my clients about very often. Uh, have you ever heard the saying that people fear what they don't understand? Yes, first service. <laughs> <laughs> I had nodding heads in both, so it's not just you, right? <laughs> Sorry. Well, like I talked about earlier, we, we, we've been raised to not talk about money. That's a taboo subject, right? That, um, and, and because of that, there's fear and anxiety that just encompass the whole concept of money. What we have to do is we have to start somewhere. And that, again, would start with the budget. That would start with knowing where your net worth is. But it also starts with giving back to God some of what he's already given to you. And Jake talked about this earlier, how countercultural Jesus is, right? He talked about all the time to people that never spoke about money. What would you say, one out of ten verses in the, in the gospel? In the gospels, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it did 45% of his parables uh, were, were about money. And the reason for that we talked about this earlier, the people's fear, right? They want to control the money. They want to find their security in it. They want to find their worth in it. They're white-knuckling money to, to such a degree that they're keeping Jesus out. And the Jesus that I know, he wants to, he wants to be invited into every single aspect of our life. And we find that money is so important to us, he's begging to be invited into that. Makes me think of the concept of a trust fund. Now, whenever we hear the term trust fund, we think about Jake's great uncle who passes away who has millions of dollars and, and, and gives it to him, yeah, right? Cannot wait to meet him. Now, <laughs> yeah. um, as your financial advisor, I hope you meet him. Um, <laughs> that wasn't supposed to be a dig on him. <laughs> um, I gotta leave it right moving there. Moving on. <laughs> Now, in the state of Washington, not many people have trust accounts, right? But if we were in California, everyone would have, most people would have a trust fund or a trust account, a trust fund, whatever you want to call it. And I want to unpack this a little bit because I think that it's really applicable to what we're talking about today. So a trust account is given by someone. It's called a grantor. So in this case, Jake's great uncle. Jake's, <clears throat> Jake's uncle puts money in this trust account. Now, Jake could be the beneficiary of it. He could also be the trustee of it. So as a trustee, Jake has the responsibility of managing this trust for however this trust is set up, right? Now, some of that money could go to Jake for Jake to enjoy, or it could be some of the money should go to charity or, or whatever else, right? Now, Jake has a fiduciary responsibility to manage this trust the way that it was set up to be. Now, when Jake passes on, this trust will then go on to whoever it will go on to next, right? The next generation or what have you. And when I think about this, I think this is exactly how God set up money for all of us. But instead of a great uncle, I think it's God who blesses us with money. It's not ours. Yeah. Our responsibility, though, 
to manage and make decisions about this money for him and his kingdom. And we get to enjoy it, right? It's a lot of fun to be able to help. But in the end, we all know we can't take it with us, and then we pass it on to whoever it goes next. Mm-hmm. And when I think about that, I think that that is the true biblical definition of being a good steward. Dude, that's awesome. That was good. Let me, can I ask you a bonus question? Um, I know that you and Katie have been faithful by putting God first in your financial life. How has that benefited you guys, uh, both personally and uh, spiritually? Yeah, so we've been married for uh, 12 years. Uh, We're actually having breakfast this morning with the kids, and today is our 18-year dating anniversary. (laughs) They did not clap for that at first service. No, they did not. How do I know? All the ladies We started dating in high school, and and, you know know dating anniversaries in high school, so. Yeah, half the guys Um, out here are like, I don't even know my real anniversary. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, during those 12 years, right, we've been through many different seasons financially. We've been through seasons that we had no margin, right? And we've been through seasons that we, we, we have had a healthy amount of margin. Um, but as we invite God into this aspect of our lives together, what we found is that it puts us on the same page. And instead of us saying, well, this is what I want to spend money on, right? This is what I want to do. We come together and we ask the Lord, what would you like us to do with your money? And that sure makes our conversations a heck of a lot easier. Yeah. Um, you know, last night we made an offer on a home, and it would reduce that margin, and, it, and, it, and it, has, it has every implication to cause stress, anxiety, and fear. But because we've brought the Lord into our life, we have this overwhelming covering of peace about that decision. So what my hope and prayer is for everyone in this room is that no matter where you're at with your finances, whether God isn't involved or he is, is to ask him to come in and to be a larger piece of that puzzle, to invite him into the entire amount, whatever that looks like in your life. And through that, you will become in a deeper and more meaningful relationship with our maker. Dude, that's great. You should have done the pastoral side too. (laughs) I didn't was, quote one verse. <laughs> it was amazing. Um, that's awesome. Um, and I love that. Thank you for that. I love your pastoral heart and your financial mind. It's unbelievable. It's amazing. And I love that you put God first in that. Um, when it comes to the practical, though, thank you. I think um, one thing to mention is do write down, even, even if you don't need it at this time, write down on your card, um, you know, resources. Was that the word? If you can spell it. Yes, if you can spell it. Um, so write that down on there. We're not taking an offering today. So you're going to have to take that card and drop it in one of those boxes back there um, if you want. But we will get back to you with any help that we possibly can. Uh, but to close out, let me do this. I want to conclude with a verse and a promise that Paul gave us um, from the book of Philippians. Here's what he said. He said, my God, and that's our God too, Right? My God will supply all your needs. And the word there that sticks out real big is all, everything. All the needs that we possibly have. Not all of our wants, but all of our needs. According to what? His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I'll say it again. God is not after your money. He's after your heart. And, uh, and, and, and so 
I, I know that what God wants to do is that when we are faithful, he, even when we're not faithful sometimes, he overwhelms us in his love. He already has overwhelmed us with outlandish love um, by what he has done. But he is the great provider, right? And so we do not have to worry. We do not have to feel overwhelmed. We do not have to feel stressed because we know that God's got us. Like he's got the birds of the air, like he's got the lilies of the field, he's got us in his hands. And that includes financial as well. Um, if you need more help on that, like the practical side of things, really write that down in there and let's start the dialogue because here's why we want to do that. We want you to be in a great place financially, not so that you can give more to the church. That's not it. It is so that you can be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing and we are blessed. We live, you guys, in one of the richest communities in the United States of America and in the world. It is amazing what God has given us. And so because we've been given that responsibility and that blessing, We'd love to be, God didn't give it to us just to hold on to it and say, lucky us. He gave it to us so that we could be a blessing to other people in the community that we live in. Amen? Amen. Let me pray.